So today I said we start talking about the structure of Shemona Esrei, which will be a, an emotional breathing space from what we've been talking about, which is more intense. Um, all right. So there's the Gemara in Megillah. Daf Yud Zayin Amud Beis says, I have a Xerox right here. Shimon HaPekuli, Shimon HaPekuli, Histir, Shmona Esrei Brachos, Lifne Rabban Gamliel Al Haseder Biyavne. Shimon HaPekuli um, set over the 18 Brachos before Rabban Gamliel in their proper order in Yavne. Okay. So that's this is like one of the important milestones for Shimon Esrei, is that Shimon HaPakuli stood before Rabban Gamliel in Yavna and said the whole Shimon Esrei in order, and that, that locked in the order. Now this is very interesting because Rabban Gamliel in Yavna, you know, Shimon HaPakuli, maybe I don't know, but Rabban Gamliel in Yavna, Rabban Gamliel got, is in Yavna, you're talking about either just before or just after the destruction of the second temple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the Gemara goes on to say, not ignoring the fact that this is different from what we possibly thought, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Me'avesrim Zikanim, there were 120 elders, Uvohem Kama Nevi'im, and amongst them many Nevi'im, or several Nevi'im. Elsewhere in the, in the Yerushalmi it says 80 of the 120 were Nevi'im. Tiknu Shmona Esrei Brachos Al Haseder. They established the 18 Brachos in their order. Now, he didn't say when this is, but if there were Nevi'im involved, <laughs> even one... <laughs> You're not talking about later than the construction of the first of the second base of right. Mikdash. So for sure talking a gap of over 400 years between these two statements. And the Gemara so the, realizes that. So the 120 was this four, right 400 Now that's described as tiknu is earlier. Yeah. Right. It's it's definitely plus because that temple stood for 410 years. So even if it was someone who was even the group that was still alive they were old because the, there were no new Nevi'im coming along by the time the second base of was built. This is only legacy mm-hmm. Nevi'im that we still have from a previous generation. Okay, so we have 120 Zikanim, which includes Nevi'im. Okay, so maybe the Nevi'im didn't keep going. Maybe there's still some Zikanim who had learned from these Nevi'im who were still going. So you're right, it could be just under 400 years also. Um, tiknu. Letaken is to, well, nowadays we'd call that to repair. It certainly means to establish it, to set it up, to make it functional. The 18 brachos in their order. And 400 years later, Shimon Hapakuli hisdir. Lisader is to put them in order. So we already see that there's a difference. There's something more, more in a, maybe let's say creative or establishing, launching it that happened in the early phase. And in the time of Shimon HaPakuli and Rabban Gamliel, he was saying them over in the order. So what, what, what is the story over here? So later on, on the next page of the Gemara, Once 120 elders, included amongst them were prophets, had established tefillah in, in its order. There's also a lot of emphasis on in its order because it's not that they invented Shmona Esrei. Even at the beginning of the, first, of the second temple era, they weren't creating the concept of a Shmona Esrei. It existed. But they were fixing it, finalizing it, something like that, and, and particularly the aspect of it, which is the order of it. So once they had done that, Shmona Pakuli Moi Histir. What, in the, what is Shimon Hapakuli organizing? He steers to put it in order. What's he organizing? What, what is he putting into order? And the Gemara answers, There was confusion. It had been forgotten. People got the order mixed up, right? Maybe there were people, I, don't, I doubt that they were leaving it out because it's called Tefillah Shimon Esrei. So you would notice fairly quickly if you dropped a whole bracha because this wouldn't be 18 anymore. 
But certainly at least it had been forgotten what the correct order was with certainty. And Shimon HaPakuli had a misora on this, perhaps a yekish misora, so to speak, very careful misora. And he stood and he recited this before Rabban Gamliel in Yavne. And it was accepted and confirmed by the Sanhedrin that this was the correct order and should be the order for everyone. Meaning if you're saying it in a different order, this is the order. This is correct and this is final. Okay. So that it's helpful because if you didn't have the Gemara coming to ask questions, you have to wonder what was going on. So Rav Schwab talks a little bit about why would it be forgotten? It's an interesting question. Why is it forgotten? So, I mean, the sort of obvious answer is because you say it by heart. They didn't have printed Siddur, but, but you know, they did have writing. But during, <laughs> but during that time, they, they had the time. They had the time. They had a lot of upheaval. They had a lot of wars. They had, I mean, you're talking about a period of time that includes the Greek occupation. You have the Roman occupation. So there's a lot going on. Right. But, but a a lot of times they say that these brachos are in place of bringing right. korban. Right, but it does seem that people davened at the same time the korban was brought. Okay. So it's not that they weren't saying Shemona Esrei. Right. It's that they were saying it sort of in alignment. You'd say Shemona Esrei at the same By the way, that is, st- to this day, the preferred time to say Shachars in the morning is just as, the, your Shemona Esrei is just as the sun comes up. It's unusual now for people to pull that off, especially in our particular latitudes. (laughs) Well, and in our latitudes, right? Where is it? But but there are people who do, because that's the perfect time for it, because that's when the carbon's being brought. Mm -hmm. The sun comes up and they start the carbon, right? So you start your davening even a little before that so that you get there. But I... uh... I used to daven, and it was in the morning about 6. It was dark. Yeah. Now I can see that sliver... Yes. Yeah, when you get to Shmona Esrei, it's good if the sun is already up. Just coming up, at least. But it's po- there are allowances. Like, it is possible to be Yotze Shmona Esrei earlier than that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the, the other parts of Davening could be much earlier, but the mm-hmm. Shema has certain times, and Shmona Esrei usually should be once it's the day, which can be just the beginning, as you say, you know, just the very beginning. Um, so what Rav Schwab points out, and this is this I thought was just like a really interesting thing. He says, look, why didn't people write it down? The Siddur was not written down until after the Second Temple was destroyed. He puts it in the era of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, 170 years after the destruction. But he doesn't just pin it there. He pins it there for a reason which is awesome, I think. I'm sorry, after the first or the second time? Second. Second. And this is what is interesting. The reason there was confusion is because it wasn't written down. The reason it wasn't written down is because it was prohibited to write it down because the nusach of the prayer is considered Torah Shabal Peh. It's like the Mishnah. So it isn't written down. It's only written down once Rabbeinu HaKadosh said, okay, we're going to write down Torah Shabbat Peh. And he starts writing down the Mishnah and recording it officially. Now, before the Mishnah was recorded, people took notes. They sat in yeshivas and they took their own little notes. But you weren't allowed to write it down or pass it on or teach it from notes. It was for yourself. If you wanted to memorize something or there was an insight you wanted to think about, you could take notes. But generally speaking, it, is not per- it was not permitted to write down Torah Shaval Peh, and the tefillos were considered Torah Shaval Peh. And he brings a source in the Gemara to support that. What was the name of the, the rabbi who... Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Okay. Yeah, Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Oh, it's Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Okay. He was called that in his generation. That's a, much, a very high praise. <laughs> Our holy rabbi. He did a lot of things for the sake of the Jewish people. And, and you said a lot of takanos. You said what year after the destruction? That was? He puts it at 170 years after the korban. Rabbeinu Hakadosh instituted many takanos for the sake of the Jewish people to to protect them. I'm pretty sure it was Rabbeinu Hakadosh who said. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was a little earlier than him. I think. I 
think, I, I could be wrong, I think it was Rabbeinu HaKadosh who said that you can only bury people in plain white tachrichim because people were bankrupting themselves trying to compete to give enough honor to the dead with elaborate shrouds. And he finally, he had himself buried in plain white linen and also made a takana that that was the only thing allowed. But he was the first, sort of. I mean, not that anyone ever didn't, but, but that was not done. People were self-conscious about it. Um, there were other, other takanas as well. Okay. So this is, this to me seems just like an interesting added era. So now we're talking about by the time you got from Anshe Knesset Sagadola down to Shimon Hapakuli and Rabban Gamliel, it's 400 years, but the Siddur isn't written down. I mean, there might have been children who wrote it down when they were learning from their father, you know, how to daven, like, so they would remember the order or something like that. But it wasn't officially written down, and it was only taught over orally, and then you'd come to shul, and you'd hear it maybe out loud, and you could follow along, although I'm not sure when that was established, because that was established because people didn't necessarily know Shimona Esrei correctly by heart. So that was a way of following along with it as well. And it may have been at a later time, even after it was written down. Usually they make mnemonics or something so that people... Yeah, I haven't heard one. The order. Yeah, I haven't heard one for this. Not, not a, I haven't heard one for Shimona Esrei. It's interesting. You'd think there is. This, this page of Gemara we will revisit many times because it's bringing this, que- this issue of when it was put into order. It's really not when was it composed. It's when was it ordered. Mm-hmm. It's when was it ordered because it's going to say, why is this bracha before that bracha? Why does this one follow that bracha? Why does it... It's going to go through and say all these different groupings and why one follows the other, which is really interesting stuff. So we're going to see more of this page of Gemara. So I say, okay, I'll go Xerox it. You know, including like eight pages of the Art Scroll English. You know, because I'm sure we're going to need to refer back to this. Okay. So it was only when Rabbi Gamliel and the Sanhedrin in Yavne verified and accepted that this is the correct text and order of the Shmona Esrei Brachos that was first put down in this order by Anshe Knesses Hakdola, And this is the Siddur that we know today. Now, since it was written down not so long after that, we all have a common sitter. It's true that there are differences in the sitter because it's been 2,000 years, but the differences are very, very minor. Very minor. If you pick up and you say Shemona Esrei from a Sephardi sitter or a Hasidish sitter, you'll basically, this is your Shemona Esrei that you know. There's a few places where two words may be swapped or there may be a please inserted into a bracha where you didn't have the word no, you know. But essentially, you have the same Shemona Esrei. It's not just recognizable. It is the same Shemona Esrei. If you look at a siddur of Rav Amram Gaon, you know, there are these siddurim that go back over a thousand years. You see your siddur. This is, you know these brachos. This is what you say every day. Okay, so now that it's written down, it's stable. The fact that there was instability over 400 years was a combination of two things happening. One was incredible political instability. You have the beginning of the, the, the establishing of the order of the sitter coming after the first gullus. You don't have this question until Anche Knesset Agadola. How come nobody has this problem? Why don't we have a story like this dating into the first temple? It was pretty stable. So you come, you have the desert for 40 years, you have 400 years roughly, right? The period of the Shoftim, another 400 years with the period of the temple. So all of that, you've got a thousand years more or less of stability and the sitter just moves on with people and their lives and there's no issue. And then you have the Babylonians come in, people dragged away in chains, turned into slaves, moved in, the country was decimated. And for seven years, and during those 70 years, I mean, look what you have. You have Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and, and forced, you know, attempts to force people into Avodah Zara, aside from relocating them into a place where they don't know the language and they don't, you know, it's not so different from their own language, which makes it easier. But that's like the difference between, for us, you know, getting forced relocated, God forbid, to Mexico, instead of being forced relocated to, like, Papua New Guinea or China or somewhere. So the language is closer. It does help. It's still not your language. 
still not your country. You've still been separated from everybody. And then you have Achashverosh and Haman and like all kinds of other things going on. And then they come back, and that's like a whole conflict in and of itself, which you can read about in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel. And then Antichrist Sagadola says, you know what? Let's just make sure we have this Shrona Esrei in a, in a proper format. So I get a little confused. Antigonessa Sagadola was during the time of the Second Temple? They are the, they are the beginning of that time. Okay, so that's what happens there. And then the next 400 years, as we said, I mean, look, Shimon HaTzadik, says in Pirkei Shimon HaTzadik Hayam Mishari Knesses Hagdola. Shimon HaTzadik was the last remaining member of the Anche Knesses Hagdola. He was the last one who outlived that era. You remember who Shimon HaTzadik is? He was the Kohen Gadol who met Alexander the Great. So already, as soon as you're out of the era of Anche Knesses Hagdola, which is the era of coming back from Bavel, and get and just beginning to get some sort of independence from the Babylonian state, which was not 100%, right? That was under Babylonian permission that the Second Temple was built. And Alexander the Great is invading, and he's got his war going on with the Babylonians and the Persians. Okay, this is not a peaceful era, not from the beginning. It's not like there was a whole period of tranquility. So that's already, that's already Shimon HaTzadik you've already got. Excuse me, Alexander the Great marching in with all his armies. And fortunately, you know, Shimon Tzadik looked familiar from his dreams. And so that's how we got the name Alexander as a Jewish name. And, and then yeah. you're going into, it's not long after that, you're going into the, the Syrian Greeks and Hanukkah and then the Romans. And all, I mean, it was, it's just, just not. And in between, when you do have some kind of Jewish sovereignty, it's not, it's maybe not so Jewish. You know, you get these, the Hurkinesses and the Herods and the, you know, like this is not, it's not maybe so surprising that by the time you get to Rabban Gamliel and the end of this era, they need to convene, I mean, the Sanhedrin was convening, but you need to convene the Sanhedrin on the topic of, there seems to be some confusion about the order of the Shemona Esrei. And Shimon Hapakuli, who has this solid Masora, stood before the Sanhedrin and Rabban Gamliel and Yavna and set over the Shmona Esrei in the correct order, and this was voted on and authorized and verified that, yes, this is the way it should be. And I, probably, given the way that Gemara plays out, probably with discussion of, oh, yes, it is that way because my teacher told me this bracha follows that bracha because of this thinking, and that bracha follows the next one or has to come before it because of that thinking. seems like that's reasonable that that's what they were saying since that's how the Gemara itself goes on. Okay. Which Gemara is this? It's, got, it's a Gemara in Megillah 17b. Sorry, that was, I said that before you came. All right, so that's, that's Shemona Pekuli. But that's not the beginning of Shemona Esrei altogether. All right. So what is the beginning of Shemona Esrei? And, uh, the, I mean, it's, this is brought down also in the Gemara. It's not, this is not in contradiction to it. In Devarim Perak Yud... Okay, it, which is really the fifth aliyah of Akev, which is more helpful if you look at it as an aliyah rather than according to the numbers somebody gave it. We have this pasuk. I'm going to read the whole aliyah afterward. But parakid pasuk Zion. Ki Hashem Elokeichem, Moshe says, Hashem your Lord, who Elokeha Elokim. He is the mighty Lord of all lords. Va'adonai ha'adonim, and the master of all powers of mastery. Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanora. Recognize this, okay? <laughs> the mighty power, the great one, the powerful one, the awesome one. Asher lo velo shochad, who shows no favoritism or bias. All right, so right away you can see that this is the, the kernel. This is the nugget around which Shmona Esrei forms. Right? It all starts here. So the Medrash on Tehillim says, Moshe Tikain Seder Tefillah. You see, we're back to the word Seder again. Isn't that interesting? Because the Avos established that there were Tefillahs, right? Avram established Shachras, and Yitzchak established Mincha, and Yaakov established Mariv. So, yes, that means that they established the concept 
that on a regular basis you speak to God at those times of day. But it's more than that. There was, there's a Misora already going on here that predates the giving of the Torah. Because the description, Moshe Tikain Seder Tefillah, that gets continued on, of course, later by Anshe Knesset, right, is establishing the order of the Tefillah. We, know, we already know we didn't need to receive the Torah from God to know that we need to talk to him. We needed our avos to recognize it. Not only that, but the avos understood what was an appropriate way to talk to Hashem. Okay, but the beginning of a formal tefillah that is regular and consistent in its words from day to day mm-hmm. seems like it starts with Moshe. Now, it could be that this was already based on a Mesorah of how you talk to Hashem. I don't know what words were already there. But certainly there wasn't the concept or the, the halacha or the, the reality that every person, when they talked to Hashem, was talking with the same words. Mm-hmm. You were talking. Maybe you were talking, maybe it was Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda. It could be they had that structure, praise first, then ask, then give gratitude. It could be that already the structure was in place. But not necessarily that everyone's saying the same words. Moshe established the order of the davening. And this is based on this pasuk that I just said. And that's really, the Chachamim call, the Chazal call this the Matbea Shel Megillah. Shel Tefillah, sorry, it's in Megillah. Matbea Shel Tefillah, the coinage of the Tefillah. So in English it happens to be we use the word coin the same way. Right, we say he coined a term. Oh. So you can still have that use, meaning to coin as to, to set an imprint of terminology in the same way that you would stamp words onto a coin. Mm-hmm. You could stamp um, a pattern of speaking or a pattern of words as to coin a term, to say we're going to use that pattern. But, but with a coin, it's not just that a coin has a set language that's repeated over and over again but it's a small number of words in a context that tells you who stands behind those words. What's the value of those words? Who's the power behind those words? That's with a coin, right? Because it represents the governing force and the power of that force and their commitment to defend whatever that statement is that's on the coin or on the money. That's what coining is. So the matbeah of tefillah is interesting because who stands behind it is Moshe Rabbeinu. It's really very interesting. Okay, that's the foundation for the davening. Now, I want to read you this whole passage because I think we, we have more we need to get from it than only that one verse in order to understand the pattern of tefillah. Ve'ato Yisrael, and now Yisrael, e'nata el ha'tshuva. Ma Hashem elokecha sho'el mi'imach. What is Hashem asking of you? You know this verse. But only to have awe of Hashem your Lord. To walk in all of his ways. And to love him. And to serve. And avoda is, right? To serve Hashem your God. With all your heart and all your soul. And we know from Shema. What is avoda shebalev? How do you give service to God, like avoda, like carbonos? With your heart, that's tefillah. Lishmor es mitzvos Hashem, to guard the mitzvos of Hashem, the eschul kosav and his laws. Asher anochi mitzavach hayom, which I am commanding to you today, letov lach, for your good. Hein l'ashem elokecha hashamayim ushmei hashamayim. Behold, to God, uh, belonging to God are the heavens, and the upper heavens, ha'aretz v'chol ba, the earth and all that is within it, rak ba'avosecha choshak Hashem la'avosam, but with God has the whole universe, but it's your forefathers that He chose to desire with His love, v'yivchar bezara macharehem, and to choose the the children of your forefathers after them. Bochem, it's you, Mikol Amim Kayom Hazeh, of all of the nations on this, as of this day, meaning just like today it's true, that's the truth that lasts. Umaltem Es Arlas Levavchem, 
you have to, to circumcise, to, to get rid of the barriers in your hearts, the arpechem lo od, and stop stiffening your necks. Ki Hashem elokechem, because Hashem, your Lord, hu elokeha elokim. He's the Lord of all lords, ba'adonei ha'adonim, master of all masters, ha'keel ha'gadol, ha'gibor, ve'hanora asher lo yisafanim ve'lo yitach shochat who is unbiased, Ose mishpat yasom ve'amana. He does justice for the orphaned and the widowed. Ve'ohev ger, and he loves the newcomer, lo lechem v'simla, to make sure he's provided with bread and with clothing. Ve'ahavtem es ha'ger, you must love the convert. Ki gerim ha'yisem be'eretz Mitzrayim, because you know what it means to be the stranger when you lived in the land of Egypt. Es ha'shem elokecha tira oso tavod. You must have awe of God and serve him. Uvo sidbak and cling to him, uvishmo tishaveya and take your oaths by him. Hu sihi lascha, he is your glory and praise. Vehu elokecha, he is your God. Asher asa itcha es hagdolos, who did for you the great acts of es hanoraos haele, and these wondrous things asher raue necha, which you have seen with your own eyes. Beshivim nefesh yardu avosecha mitzrayma. As only 70 souls did your forefathers come down to Egypt, and now, God has made you multitudinous like the stars in the heavens. That's the passage. This is where the core of Shemona Esrei begins. There's so much here. There's just, I mean, everything right down to the order of the davening. Start, you start with what you've seen. And you build on what you've seen to recognizing the acts and the patterns of history. You went down to Egypt. You came up from Egypt, right? That's okay. I mean, everything is really encapsulated here. I want to come back now to Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab says that Moshe Rabbeinu, why did he choose these terms? Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vahanora. Because they're based on miraculous events which he and his generation experienced personally during their lifetimes. So, what are they? And he's going to show how Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vahanora <coughs> corresponds to the things he said that they have seen. So, Hagadol, Hashem is great. Ose Gadolos, Bemitzrayim. That Hashem did great things in Egypt. And Gadol, greatness, this is a reference to the quality of Chesed. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim, Gadol Chesed, that Hashem is great of Chesed, uh, meaning great in doing Chesed. So the Gadula is associated with Chesed. And the greatest chesed was taking us out of Egypt. Now this is like file away for mental note. I should have written it on a piece of paper, which I didn't, because we also know that gadol and chesed corresponds to Avraham, right? And we're going to see more of that because as we start Shemona Esrei, the first three brachos correspond to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So maybe it's not so surprising that it's packed into the core of this first phrase, gadol, gibor, venora. Gibor, Hashem is the mighty one, the strong one. That's also from, from Tehillim Kovav. And Gvura is Midas Hadin. I'm not even going to go into that. We have talked about this many times. I just talked about it the last two weeks in the Tuesday Shear. So those recordings are available as well. And the greatest example of Din, and the one that was witnessed in Moshe's lifetime and the lifetime of his generation, was the punishment of Mitzrayim at Yamsuf and the perfection of that Din. And that they were able to see that each person was punished in accordance with their actions. The worse they were, the worse the punishment was. The better they were, the more painless the death was. So the Jews were able to see how everything played out exactly. Vehanora and the awesome one. This is a different place in Tehillim. Tehillim Samaches. Nora Elokimi Mikdashacha. Hashem, you are awesome from your... Mikdash. Excuse me. And this is referring to the completion of the Mishkan. When the Nora is the, the feeling that came from building... 
They finished building the Mishkan. And then this fire from heaven came rushing down. Now you remember, I mean, that day is, right? I mean, I think we saw Mephorshim two years ago when they were davening and davening and then Aaron gave a bracha to the Jewish people and this fire came rushing down from heaven into the Holy of Holies and it's possible that that fire itself is what killed his sons, right? Because they had intervened, it's not clear. But, but the awe of that, that terrifying and yet wondrous both, that combination of the din and the chesed is the Nora, and this is the awe-inspiring event there. Okay. But then the Medrash goes on. Um, here, I have a copy of this Medrash. To say the following. And this is something that is also brought... Okay, we're talking, again, we're talking about the source of Shimon Esri. And we're saying now that we started with Shimon HaPikuli, standing before, working backward, right? Standing before Rabban Gamliel and the sages at Yavne and confirming and, and validating what is the correct order of Shimon Esri. But that order really goes back to Anshe Knesset Hagadola 400 years before that. And they established and made it sort of a for, what what is the formal structure of the 18 brachos and the order that they're in. But they had a Masora, like all of Klai Israel had a Masora that goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu, who refers to Hashem as the God who is Hagadol Hagibor Vehanor. Okay. The Medrash asks, actually I think this is a Gemara in Yuma that I'm quoting, so I don't know if the Gemara is going to be quoting the Medrash. I don't know how that works always, <laughs> okay? It's a Gemara in Yuma, Samaches Beis. This comes up in different places. All right. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, Lama Nikrashman Anshe Knesses Hagadola. Why were they called the Anshe Knesses Hagadola? The men of the great assembly. Why are they called great? Why were they a great assembly? Shehechaziru Atara Leoshna because they put the crown and glory, they returned it back to its glory. They returned the crown to its glory. What crown? And what glory? Also Moshe. Moshe came, Amar, and he said, Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanora, that the mighty God, he is great, he is powerful, he is awesome. Also Yirmiya, and then came Yirmiah. Now, this is not around the corner. Yirmiah is Jeremiah. He was the prophet before the destruction of the first temple. Mm -hmm. So he's a good 900 years after Moshe. Right? Yirmiyahu came around. He can see. Yirmiyahu wasn't just prophesizing before the destruction. He also lived through the destruction. Yirmiyahu came and said, there are drunken soldiers, you know, laughing raucously around their campfires on the site of the temple. Where is your Nora? Where is your awesome, fearsome expression of God's presence? Lo Amar Nora. And he didn't say Nora. He said, Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor. And he didn't say Nora. He said, How can you say Nora when you see that God's glory? Now, uh, let, me, let me make another connection here. I didn't see this anywhere, but we saw that the source of Nora was Nora Mimikdoshecha. That God's awe, right? This was based on the event of God's fire coming down from heaven into the Mishkan. Now the Mikdash, which is the newer incarnation of the Mishkan, has been destroyed. And you've got soldiers trampling around, you know, probably boozing at night, laughing. And your Miyahu hears this and says, Nora? What Nora? I can't see Nora. And he didn't say it. Also Daniel. Daniel came along. Daniel is much closer a contemporary to your Miyahu. Not sure if they met or not, but they certainly 
much, much, much closer in time. Daniel was exiled in the first exile. He was brought to Babylonia. He was thrown into a lion's den for davening to Hashem, right? He only ate lentils and other kinds of kidneys um, because he was, ele- he was ultimately elevated as an advisor. He died in the time of Esther. He died at the, I don't know if he even, it seems, it seems like he didn't even get to live to see the redemption under Esther. He, he died during the whole stressful period of knowing that Haman had put out this decree, but not, not before Haman had died. Okay, Daniel came along, Amar, and he said, Nachrim mishtabdim bevanav. You've got all these non-Jewish soldiers. They dragged us away in chains. They turned us into slaves, sold us as slaves. Where's your gvura? I don't see gvura here. <coughs> gvura means might, power, control. If people can come and take your children as slaves, then we don't see gvura. Lo amar gibor. And he didn't say gibor. You had hakel, hagadol, hagibor, vehanora. And now you're down to God is gadol. Now these ones came along. It's interesting that the one that's left is gadol. Now these ones come along. The Anche Knesset Hagadola. Maybe that's where the Gadola is. Don't know. Okay. They're not Anche Knesset Hagvura. They're not Anche Knesset Hanora, right? They were the time of only Gadula, I suppose. The Amru, and they said, Adaraba. No, no, to the contrary. Zohi Gvuras Gvuraso. This is the ultimate expression of God's power. So now they're addressing Daniel's issue. How are they going to address it? But just before I go on, if they said, it's not that they're contradicting that God's might is shown through mighty actions, as Moshe said, right? The gvura of, of Yamsuf. But they said, well, what, how do we define gvura in people? We don't say the Gibor is the one with the strongest sword. We don't say the Gibor is the one with the biggest muscles. We don't say the Gibor is the one with the most notches on his belt. A Gibor is someone who can be Kovesh Yitzro, who can have an inclination in one direction and conquer it. Who's even, because if you compare, if Gvura is only in comparison to others, then there's always a mismatch. You never, maybe the other person's weak and that's why you look strong. You can't prove gvura through comparison. You can only prove gvura through someone matched against himself. Adaraba, they said, Zohi gvuras gvuraso. This is the power of his power. This is. Hashem has the gvura to act and to do justice and to make sure everything is right. He has power even over that power. He has strength that is even able to match up that strength. Shekovesh es Yitzro. Rather astonishing statement. God can conquer his own inclination, so to speak. Shenosein erech apayim l'arishaim. Do you think God's gvura really will stand for the wicked perpetrating heinous and violent crimes against the innocent? God has power even to hold back and extend his patience even with Rishaim. And you know what else they said? What you're talking about? Yirmiya, you said, where's the Nora? Where is the glorious and yet terrifying expression of God's presence in the world? They said, no, no, this is no Rosav. This is Hashem's glorious and terrifying expression in the world. If it were not for God's awesome, wondrous power, Mixing the din and the rachamim, right? It's terrifying, and yet it is wondrous and delightful and exciting both. 
If not for that mora, that awe of Hashem's, how could this one small nation even be alive amongst these other great nations? You're saying the fact that we've been trampled means there isn't Nora. And the Anshe Knesset Hagdola looked, seems maybe taking a page from Rabbi Akiva's book before he was born, right? And they said, this is an awesome wonder. But it's the backwards awesome wonder. The, the chesed that is blended with the gevura is not overwhelming us with its magnitude. It's overwhelming us with its power in the small. That the, the chesed continues even within the magnitude of the, of the evil or of the justice. And therefore, they went back to the language of Moshe Rabbeinu. Hechziru atara liyoshna. They returned the crown to its glory. Nora. I just... And Gibor. They understood Gibor to mean, I'm reading from Rav Schwab, that the real strength of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is shown not when he destroys his enemies, but when he withholds his retribution and remains silent in the face of the suffering and pain endured by his people. That's not callousness to us. He's suffering with us. Mm -hmm. The ability to stand back for the sake of a greater good, presumably for us. This is Gvuras Gvurasa. And Nora, what really inspires fear and awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that his nation, despite being in a miserable state of helplessness, have survived in the face of the powerful nations who have attempted to destroy them. Elu, Hain, Norosav. If it were not for fear in the hearts of our enemies, how is it possible for one sheep to survive among 70 wolves? Therefore, in spite of the fact that during times of gullus, persecution, suffering, and holocausts, we see neither Gvura nor Nora of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Anshe Knesses HaGadola nevertheless reinstated the words used by Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah in addressing Hashem in our tefillah. This is the matbea of tefillah established by Moshe and organized and structured by the Anshe Knesses HaGadola. Gesundheit. Gesundheit. Okay, so I wanted to make one other point here. And this is, this is my, own, my own thought here. It's just a small, small thought. There's no great chiddush. But I, I did have this question, and I don't know if you had it also, so at least to address it, which is, why would Daniel and Yirmiyah and Yirmiyahu have reacted that way? Meaning, it's, it can't, you're talking about Nevi'im. So it's not that they didn't know that Hashem was God's Ogibor Noah. They're saying we can't see it, therefore we won't say it. Right? So I don't, did this, I mean, did you wonder about this? I kind yeah, of, like. How it, how it tied in in the hiddenness of Esther. And, and oh, that's interesting. That's a great thought. Even from them at that time. Awesome. I love it. I don't know, but it's really at that time. You're right. They're going into Hester Panim. Yeah. And the Anche Knesset Sagadola is like, it's not coming out of Hester Panim entirely, but it's realizing we got to live like this a long time. So how do we relate to it? That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. It could be. So what I wondered was, why is it that they thought that was a correct response? That it was correct to say that if I can't see this, I shouldn't be praising it. That was kind of my question. Because we do see that within the structure of davening as a whole, we do kind of try and start very tangibly with what we can see. I can see I'm putting on my belt. I can see myself standing up. I can feel my eyes opening. And then we go to, I can see things that have happened in my life and the life of others, and I can look historically at Klal Yisrael and the passage of the Jewish people, all of these things. So in being able to see those, then I, I bring them alive inside of my mind, and I praise based on that. Mm -hmm. And from there, I go to Shema Yisrael, where I cover my eyes and maybe don't see it per se, but nonetheless, 
establish intellectually that based upon what I have seen, this is what is true. And from there we got to Shemona Esri. So maybe it kind of makes sense that they thought, if I can't see it, it's inappropriate to praise for it. It seems like that was somehow what they were saying. So here's, here's what I would just suggest, is that that passage ended, or nearly ends, with the, the penultimate pasuk is of Moshe, He says, you came out of Mitzrayim and you see that Hashem does righteousness for the orphaned and the widowed, and he took you out of Egypt, and you should cling to him. He is your praise. So your glory or the one you sing praise to, the Hu Elokecha, He is your Lord. Asher Asa Yitcha Es Hagdolos Vesha No Raos Ha'ele Asher Ra'u Einecha, who performed these great things and these awesome deeds which your eyes have seen. So I would suggest that it was because they knew the source, of course, of the, of the term, hakel, hagadol, hagibor, vehanor, that it was because of that and because of the way it's phrased by Moshe that Daniel and Yermia said, we must refrain from using the term gibor, we must refrain from using the term Nora. It's not that they were saying God isn't those things, God forbid, Right? They're saying, I can't see it, therefore I shouldn't say it. And what, what I think is interesting is that the Anshe Knesset Hagdola did not come back and say a lesson as to how even though you can't see it, it's still true and you should say it. They didn't do that. They said, no, no, no. This reality, you can see the Gvura even more in this reality. You can see the Nora in this reality. I think it's interesting that that's their reaction. Is if you don't see it, maybe you weren't looking at maybe it it changed form now. You don't see it in the same place you saw it before, but don't worry. We can still see it, therefore we say it. And this is restoring the crown to its glory, to its former glory of old, Leoshna. Right? So I, I found that just kind of like looking at that, like I said, it's not a chiddush, I don't think, over here that I'm making. I think it's just asking the question, and then you see that the answer is kind of sitting there, just that I hadn't picked it up. But it's a helpful and also important point. It doesn't mean if I don't see it, so no, I'm not going to say it. I don't, I don't relate to this, right? Like, so I'm not going to, no. See, maybe I don't have permission. Am I allowed to sing a praise that's not, not based on, on something experiential, not something that I've been able to, to see? And if I, if I don't see it, where do I need to look for it? Where, where do I need to find it? Maybe there's something that's deeper. It's not so blatant. It's not so obvious. And yet maybe it's, it's more powerful. You know, this is the Gvura of the Gvura. This is a greater Gvura. This is a greater Nora, in a sense, in the darker place. And we've seen that kind of idea before, mm -hmm. that the chesed that is held back can be more powerful than the chesed that is openly delivered. It's more painful for us but it's much more painful for God. It's more convenient for Hashem to just like get the first Beis HaMikdash built and stay with that. But who we become is not the same. And it's true, we're not at the level of our ancestors. Who we become is like a very, very diluted strength of our ancestors in almost every way. Maybe not strength, Maybe that's not the term. Greatness. Our levels of, of bitachon, our levels of dedication, the ability to focus on feeling God's presence in our lives every single moment, to make decisions based only thinking about what he wants, not ha and knowing that, and not having any concept or care about what that might, you know, other, like, that we are so far from this. But we have something that they didn't have. Mm 
we have the opportunity to hang tight and cling to Hashem even though we aren't such amazing tzaddikim yet. And even though we can't see it. And we have to look for it and it's hard. And everything's under threat. Parnassa and livelihood and life and liberty and safety and security. It's all being threatened all the time to the point where we don't think necessarily like our ancestors do. But what we do have is we could hold on. There's something that gets added to the national identity of Klai Yisrael through our lives too. We also are contributing something to who this group is. Each of us individually and our generation amongst a series of generations. Now, that means God has to put up with a lot. He's in there feeling with us. And guess what? What pain do we feel? Our own pain? The pain of our families and their struggles? Maybe we're broad enough to expand ourselves to include the pain of other people that we know. Maybe we feel pain when we hear the stories of what goes on for other communities in other countries in the world. But how much pain do we feel for previous generations? A little, maybe if we've studied about the Holocaust a little or we have it in our family, we heard some stories. How far back can we stretch? How much pain have you suffered recently about the pogroms of Tachvetat, right? Of the massacre in York? I don't know. We, we do try and stretch, right? Come Tish above time, we do try and stretch and feel. But we weren't there, you know? God was as vibrantly there in each of these generations going all the way back more than we feel ourselves in our own generation. He's fully with us here with greater depth of understanding and feeling than we have. Hashem is more merciful than any of his creations. And he has been sitting through all of this. So yes, he's got the big picture. That always helps. But, but we don't say that that takes away from the experience of it. And to do that for the sake of us, to allow us to develop in a new way, to allow us to become something that presumably we would not otherwise be able to achieve. Mm -hmm. This is the gvura over the gvura. This is the nora within the nora. And we, this something we could see and we could praise for and recognize that that's like, it's like in a deep and hidden place, but then when activated, it will shine back out again as before only there will be a richness brought to it by what we have done through going through the dark place. That's the part that's Hakobi de Shemayim Shemayim. What we've done in our year of Shemayim, not only in spite of the darkness, but because of the darkness, will contribute something to the world and to the glory of Hashem's Melucha in terms of Machazir Atara Leoshna, whose crown? It's God's crown. That's like in returning that, that wasn't there maybe even before. Okay, so next week, we will go on to talk a little bit about the structure of the 18. Okay, the 18 brachos and, and why the 18 and so on.